0: so my phone rang and it was the voice of a young man he was calling saying that he wanted to meet with me he had something he wanted to talk with me about and so we set the plans and uh, we were going to meet at a particular restaurant I was there before him and I was just sitting there waiting enjoying my uh, cup of coke and waiting for him to walk through the door when he walked through the door man, there was this look of, like, fear on his face, and you could tell that he was he was super nervous, and he was interested in my daughter, so I knew that the conversation was uh, going to be intriguing, and so he walked in, and he sat down, and he began to, you know, we talked about the normal pleasantries of the weather and life and how he was doing and I was doing, and then eventually he looked at me, and he said, sir, he said, I would like to, ask your permission to date your daughter. And I took a deep breath, looked into the eyes of this young man that I knew well. And so I gave him permission to not date my daughter. It felt so good. And I looked at him and I said, here's the thing, I'll have this conversation with you again in one year if you're still interested in dating my daughter. And that year passed. And sure enough, my phone rang again, and that young man came to me, and he sat down, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, sir, can I date your daughter? And this was one years later, and I looked at him, and I said, you have permission to date my daughter, and he did, and I I like this guy. He was a, a really cool guy, but I can't help myself. I'm a a typical dad who wants to, you know, protect... His children. It's hard, parents, isn't it? Being a parent, it's one of the most challenging jobs on planet Earth. We're thrown into it without ever being given a parental manual. We're not sent to a parent boot camp. We're not given the luxury of sitting down with uh, parent experts who will coach us on what works and what doesn't. Instead, it's kind of a baptism by fire, a learn as you go kind of thing. So as a parent, I have blown it many times before in epic fashion. I have said things that I wish I could take back and done things that I wished I hadn't done in front of my children. It can be so difficult, and parenting is, yet even though it's difficult, one of the most incredible jobs on the earth. Parents, you have such a great influence and such an awesome thing that you have and 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 influence before your kids
1: (sighs) i knew this day would eventually come i just didn't think it would come so fast i remember everything we taught you remember if you need anything anything at all i'll be there look it is a crazy world out there with people who don't care if they hurt you or not they don't care that you're my little baby And you better call me twice a day, because no matter what happens, I will always be your dad. Seems like just yesterday you were. My little girl, now look at you, you're all grown up. So you have a good day, and I will be right here. Waiting for you to come home. i remember everything I taught you, be safe. Dad, I got it. You can stop worrying, I'll be fine. I know, I know. Oh dear, I promised myself
0: I wouldn't cry. So one day, a little girl was sitting, and she was watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink. She suddenly noticed that her mom had several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast against her black hair. She looked at her mother and inquisitively asked, why are some of your hairs white, mom? Her mother replied, well, sweetie, Every time that you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. The little girl thought about this revelation for a while, and then she said, Mommy, how come all of Grandma's hairs are white? (laughs) As you know, we are in a series on Colossians called Unparalleled, and we're continuing this series with a look at Unparalleled Parenting. What does great parenting look like and what advice does the Bible give on what we should be teaching our children? What should we do to keep our kids safe from boyfriends who potentially might only want thing, one thing or car crashes that could not only damage the car but could hurt themselves and even things like broken hearts naturally, we as parents, we are concerned about sheltering our children from the evil that could come at them from the outside, and rightfully so. Yet there are some parents who don't seem to be concerned. There are parents who do everything but parents, either through absenteeism or all-out irresponsibility. They fail on many levels as a parent, and that's what I love about what Dr. Ted Roberts said. He said, there are no illegitimate children, only illegitimate parents. And so I think we all can agree on what parenting is not, but what does great parenting look like from parents who legitimately work hard at parenting? Well, here's the key. At the heart of of true unparalleled parenting, you will always find a thing called loving discipline. And we find it in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 verse 20. Here's what it says. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This says that children, you need to obey your parents. And it it really brings a lot of joy to the heart of God and dads, but especially parents. Don't be so hard on your kids that you discourage them. I love how the message version puts it. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. And this is the ultimate balancing act, isn't it, parents? You know, require obedience through discipline, but do it without discouraging them. This passage that we've just read from, it focuses on the obedience of children and the loving care of parents. So I think we we can all agree that from this passage that the number one thing that's important in parenting is love, right? Well, maybe not. It's probably not that simple. Maybe this will help. We remember a set of parents by the name of Adam. And Eve they had two sons Cain and Abel Abel grew up to be a herdsman and he was good with animals but Cain was a farmer and so he grew fruits and vegetables but something was happening in the heart of Cain and his mom and his dad Adam and Eve were there and and we kind of wonder what was taking place because the Bible says that God came to 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 Cain one day and warned him right after him and Abel had brought an offering to God, and, and God was not pleased with Cain's offering. And here's what it says It says, uh, Then the Lord said to Cain in Genesis 4:6, If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And then, in the heart of this young man who has been warned by a loving heavenly father, not out of judgment, but to say, Hey, I care about you. Watch this. There's something growing in your soul. He doesn't heed the warning. Instead, he takes his brother Abel out into a field and he murders him there. He does the unthinkable. And I scratch my head and we wonder together how did this happen? How is this possible? I mean, what went wrong with. Adam and Eve's parenting was it their bad example when they rebelled against God or was it the good example that they didn't live out that they should have lived out in front of their sons and we will never know the answer to that question but we will know the answer to a whole nother set of parents a parent, parents by the name of Elkanah and Hannah They loved God. They were parents in the Old Testament who feared the Lord. And we know this because Elkanah would bring his wife, Hannah, and their family to the temple on a regular basis to worship God. But Hannah was no ordinary mom. She was a woman of prayer, and she loved the Lord, and the Bible says that one day she gave birth to a young man or a boy by the name of Samuel, and he grew, and unlike Cain, who had bad character deep in his heart, this young man was an incredible person. He became a priest in the temple, and he started to teach in the temple, and we also know that he anointed the first king over Israel, and and certainly anointed King David. Here's what the Bible says about him in 1st Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with them, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And again, we scratch our heads and we go, How? How did this happen? How did things go so wrong with Cain? But how did things go so right? with this young man who became an awesome leader, a great leader in the nation of Israel. And you know what? We know the answer because it comes from the very lips of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. She, she says, I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life and they worship the Lord there. Hannah got it. She understood that her boy, Samuel, was a gift from God and that she wasn't the true owner of him. And she knew that if he was a gift from God, she was going to make sure that his spiritual growth came number one. Could it be then that that the one thing in parenting, the most important thing, isn't just love? That it could be that it's character development, which is brought about by by a thing called loving discipline? After all, what is the goal of Christian parenting? Wouldn't it be cool if we could bring our Heavenly Father God in here up on stage this morning, kind of like Matt Lauer does on the Today Show, and he interviews people. Wouldn't it be cool if we could interview God this morning, and we say, God, what is is the most important thing that you would want all of these grandmas and grandpas, all of these aunts and uncles, and all of these parents to know when it comes to raising young ones? And you know what? we wouldn't even have to ask that question, do we? Because you know the answer. I know the answer. God would immediately look at us, and if he he would say the number one thing is that they would raise their children to love Jesus and to serve him as Lord. Am I the only one that's here this morning? That's good preaching. (laughs) To raise your children to love Jesus. Again, we as parents, and we should, we get so concerned about sheltering our children from the evil that could come at them from the outside, but we forget about the worst kind of evil, the kind that can grow in the soul of a man or a woman. Loving discipline is so important because it focuses on character development over talent development. Our culture, our society says focus on talent development. Get your kids in tons of things, and it doesn't matter if they're overscheduled. Man, you want to make sure that their talent is developed so they'll be successful, but our world, our society will tell you nothing about character development. So I looked up this word discipline in Webster's Dictionary, and I found three definitions. The first one for discipline is punishment. And immediately when we hear discipline, we think of corporal punishment or being put on timeout. And by the way, this message is not at all about that. That's not what we're talking about here. The second definition is control gained by enforcing obedience. So in other words, a disciplined environment. And the third definition has an academic bent. In other words, it's a field of Study. And so, as a a former adjunct business professor, I taught for five years in the business discipline. And so, that's kind of how we think of that. But I love the fourth definition. It gets me really excited as I read it said this training that corrects, molds, perfects the mental faculties of moral character. Isn't that incredible? from Webster's Dictionary, training the, that, that perfects the mental faculties of moral character. It's disciplined living, right? And, and not behavior modification. We think of somebody who goes to the gym six days a week and we say, wow, wow, He or she has a disciplined lifestyle. When we think of a parent who wakes up every day and grabs their Bible and opens it up and cries out to Jesus because they know they are spiritually bankrupt without him, we would say that that parent has strong spiritual disciplines. And so we're not talking at all in this message about physical discipline, but the noise It's a fever pitch, isn't it? Our culture continues to scream at us, here's what you need to focus on when raising your children. It says things like, be sure you have fully developed the talent of your kids by the time they're 18 so that they will be successful. And so we've done that. We've clearly outlined talent goals for our kids, but i got to ask you, it's bubbling up inside of me. Where are the spiritual goals for those, these soon-to-be young adults that we raise and send out into this world? Why is character and development more important than talent development? Again, we forget that the worst kind of evil is the kind that can grow in the soul of a young man or a young woman. Jesus hit on that when he said these words, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Jesus was trying to say that a man or a woman can have tons of talent and be super successful but still be lost. Again, it's important to think about what does unparalleled parenting, what does it look like? Well, the heart of it, this is key, is applying loving discipline. In other words, training to build moral character. And ultimately, the goal is that our kids would love Jesus and serve him as Lord. So how do we know this? How do we know this to be true? Well, because it comes from the very heart of our heavenly Father. In Proverbs 3:12, it says, "My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves. As a son, a father, the son, he delights in Here. We are told how good this is, that God is claiming us, and when those difficult curveballs come, those tests, those hard times in your life, and it's discipline, God is trying to grow us. Instead of saying, God, what are you doing to me? We need to be saying, God, thank you for this tough time. What are you trying to teach me? But this concept, of course, is taken even deeper when the question is asked in Hebrews 12, 7, who has ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Why? Because when a child isn't disciplined by its father or mother and it becomes adult, it grows into an out-of-control adult. But he goes on and he says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. It hurts. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I love this passage. What does it say? It says that when we are disciplined by our Heavenly Father, we get to share in His holiness. It's a good thing. That's why it says in James to rejoice when we go through trials, because we're being purified. But then it says we're going to have a harvest of right living, of righteousness, you know, it's kind of like your front lawn when it comes to parenting. You could have this green grass in your front lawn, and 50% of it could be weeds. And so you could say, well, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay ahead of this because I have a lawnmower. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mow over those weeds and constantly stay on I t- keep them the same size as my my grass so that when my neighbors walk by, hopefully they won't notice that 50% of my lawn is weeds. You you could do that, or you could grab some weed killer. And you could spray poison on the weed weeds themselves and this poison will go deep down into the roots and kill it at its roots and keep those weeds from taking over your lawn. And the same way with our children. You know we could be like, oh I'm not doing this right now. And, and our, our child is melting down in public and they're freaking out. We're like, no, nope, I'm, I'm not having this high heard conversation. And we reach to buy something for him to kind of shut them up and keep them quiet. Or we could say, you know what? No, I'm not walking through this door because if I go through the door of my teenager's room right now, man, there is gonna be drama for the next several hours and it's gonna be so difficult. You know, parents, we could avoid the hard conversations right now, but you and I both know that if we do that when they're 32 and they're living in our basement, we're gonna have to have many hard conversations. But if we do what we need to do, if we have those hard conversations now in the midst of public, if we walk through that door, and even though it isn't fun and yeah, it makes that night difficult, if we have those hard conversations later on, we won't be having very many Hard conversations. I want to introduce you to my family. Here, I have a, a son and a daughter, and this is my wife, Dawn. This is my son, Alex, in the upper left-hand side. Uh, he's 22. My daughter is 20. Um, and, and you guys, you probably recognize the, the bald, weirdo guy up there. Anyway, but the, the good-looking guy, that's my new son. Uh, he just married my daughter on October 1st. But I got to be honest with you, when you see pictures like this, you go, whoa, whoa. Boy, that's a family. They kind of look like they have it together. And we put these on Facebook, right? They're legitimately on Facebook. We're all like, oh, they got it too. Don't believe it, all right? <laughs> Honestly, I'm a dad who has blown it many times, epically, just, oh my gosh, wanting to run and hide. And you know what? My kids, my wife, are not perfect. In fact, my son, from the time he was 14 till about 17, he's an engineer, super intelligent guy. He's a communicator like me. And at about 14, he decided that we didn't really know much. And uh, he began to tell us all the things that we didn't know. And so we had some moments there. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we had some tough years there. And my daughter, same thing, you know, in those teenage years where, you know, drama with my son, drama with my daughter. And it was hard. But we had those hard conversations, and now I'm grateful that not only not only is it healthy to not have them, but I don't have to have those, not because we we're a perfect family, very much not perfect, failed constantly, but we had that opportunity, parents, your role, aunts, uncles, grandmas, and grandpas, your role is so important as they're growing up right now and what's going on inside of their hearts. So how can we raise our children with loving discipline, loving discipline that is focused on character development with the ultimate goal of having our children love Jesus? and serve him as Lord. How can we do that? Well, I had told you earlier that there isn't a manual for raising children, but I was wrong. That's what I thought. And here's why, for so many years, here's the problem. I didn't realize that the manual for raising children had the name Bible on it. But the truth is, parents, unparalleled parenting, you have the ability to raise incredible children. Why? Because everything you could ever need or want to raise your children is right here. And you know what? God has picked the perfect people to raise those kids. When you epically fail, Craig, in front of your kids and and you blow it, you're perfect. You're exactly what they need. When you own it and you claim it and you say, you know what? I make mistakes too. And they understand the grace and the love of God. So what are the most important things that we should be teaching our children from this parental manual? Well, the first one is so important. It's teaching them that true identity can only be found in Jesus and in deep community. Why? Because we turn on the TV and every commercial says, if you have this, you're going to have joy. And and. We have the six, but then the seven comes out, and the six then isn't as making us as joyful as it once was, and we gotta get the next thing. But you know what? Parents, I want to remind you to remind your children that Jesus is the only source of true joy and peace on this earth that you can't find anywhere else. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, He said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another by this, by what Jesus, if you love one another, isn't it interesting he didn't say, if you love others, why, because I can do that from my home all by myself, but what does he say, if you love one another, and, and what does that look like, two people or more loving each other together? Well, let me give you this example. What if I told my children that I love them, but for 18 years, over and over again, I said, I love you, I love you, but I'm going to live two blocks away. And Me and your mom, we're, you know, we're good in our marriage, but I'm going to live over here. You guys live over there. I'll see you one hour a week, but I love you. Do you think they would believe me? No. Why? Because we all know the only way to spell love is T-I-M-E there is no other way. And, and Jesus, after he had finished answering the question of really about what are the most important things that anyone could ever know, any human being, while they're alive on this earth, and how they could live that out, he said to love God with all your heart. And then he said the second is equally important in Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you love yourself? you take care of yourself, you look out for yourself, you help yourself, and you invest time in yourself. Kurt Vonnegay, he's he wrote this, he's an author, he said, what should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously, but the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured, and it is a rampant disease in our world today. We are careful to get our kids cell phones by the time that they are 10, but we forget to teach them with our lives that nothing, not even technology, can replace the benefit of face-to-face community. There's the story of the young boy who his teacher asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a cell phone. And his teacher was confused. She was like, Why would he say that? I mean, you gotta be a person or something. So she said, why? Why a cell phone? He said, because my parents are always holding one and they're always looking at it. And so if I become a cell phone, maybe they'll hold me. And maybe they'll look at me. There are important things that we need to teach our children. The first one is that their true identity can only be found in Jesus and deep community, but also that Jesus is the center of the universe and they are not. And I get it. You remember when we first got married and it was a party. I mean, we stayed up all night and we hung out with our friends and we could do anything we want, no responsibility. And then suddenly somebody peed on that little stick and it turned blue or pink, right? Can we say peed in church? not sure. But it's a reality. It's medical. We can get over that. But, but, but then what happened? Somebody hit the brakes and we hit a brick wall. And I remember the sound of that brick wall. It was the sound of my son breathing in oxygen in the hospital room for the first time. And when he let out that scream and the doctor handed Alex to me, I'm like, are you kidding? Are you, this is a human being. You're giving them to me? You don't want them back? And, and it was hard. Like, he kept us up all night long, and he always wanted to eat. And then this black stuff started coming out of him. And I was like, what is going on here? This is really hard. And you know what, parents? I understand. At that moment, your child becomes the center of your world. But eventually, those children grow up, and they want to be independent. And sometimes, parents don't grow up. And they keep telling their children that they are the center of the universe and it damages those kids in such a bad way philippians chapter 2 verse 9 it says this therefore god exalted jesus to the highest place and gave jesus the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue and acknowledge that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father my parents read me the bible so much growing up. I would catch them reading the Bible, but I'm so grateful that when they read me this passage when I was growing up, they never put my name in place of Jesus because I'm not the center of the universe. Brad Bushman, he's the co-author of a recent study on narcissism in children and a professor of communication and psychology at Ohio State University. He teamed up with the University of Amsterdam, and here's what he wrote. "'Children believe it when their parents tell them that they are more special than others, and that may not be good for them or for society.'" This study found that narcissism in children is cultivated by parental overvaluation. Parents believing their children to be more special and more entitled than others. Wow, is that dangerous? Wow, there's so much anxiety and depression in our young adults today. Why? Because they get out into society and no one else treats them like that. Think of what it does to free a child and the weight that comes off of them when you tell them they are not the center of the universe and they don't have to be perfect anymore. And Everybody isn't watching them. They can just go back to laughing. And being a kid, Lori, it's so good when they're able to do that. Unparalleled parents apply loving discipline to build moral character with the ultimate goal, that they would love Jesus and serve him as Lord. What do we teach them? What does this parent manual tell us? We need to teach them that humility is ultimately expressed in selfless acts of service. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, tells us that we're supposed to think like Jesus. It says, think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. God gave up the status of deity, and he came down. Jesus came down, and he became the servant, but he became the servant of all. Humility is so much more than avoiding pride, isn't it? It's understanding that we have been put here on this earth for one reason, and one reason only, all of us, and that's to serve others. That's why we're here. We have no other reason but to serve others and give glory and honor to God. One year, my wife and I, we made the decision in advance to take our yearly family vacation money, and instead, we decided to take our kids and our family on on a mission trip. And so we went to another country, and we began to build a church in a town of 3,000 that had literally never had a church before, historically. And so we were building this church physically, the hardest work of our lives. You can see my, my son's shirt is just soaked to the bone. Hard work and we 're halfway through our time there we 're in a, a neighboring building they 've brought in a buffet of lunch for us. They shut the doors so that our team could sit there and eat lunch together in and, and privacy and but the, But the windows there were kind of open, and so there were little kids they were saying a bunch of things, and they were reaching their arms through the windows and and they had these disturbed look on their faces and I was engrossed in a conversation. I saw it, but didn 't really think much of it, but my son. And my daughter was sitting there eating their food with one of the nationals. And they said they said to her, they said, well, what are those kids saying over and over again? She said, oh, don't worry about it. This is really good food, isn't it? Eat your food. And, and, and my son and my daughter, they, they couldn't shake it. And so they asked her again, they said, what are they saying? And she said, well, they're saying that they're hungry, that they don't have any food, and they wanna know if you'll feed them. And at that moment, my children physically lost their appetite and i think to a degree at that moment they spiritually lost their appetite for materialistic things it made them think about how they wanted to live their lives and it gave them a passion for serving others and lastly one of the most important things that this parental manual grandmas and grandpas aunts and uncles moms and dads it teaches us to teach our kids that god owns it all you are there I was there remember when mom would take that last piece of dessert and the butter knife and she would go to cut it and I don't know why it tortured my mind every single time she cut it whatever piece she gave to my brother and sister it was always bigger always bigger and it it didn't matter if we swapped them again it got bigger and and you know what that's kind of carried into my life as an adult because there are times where i work really hard and i buy something cool and i go to show my friends and i pat myself on the back and i'm like see see what i've earned see what i have but then deuteronomy eight seventeen recalibrates my soul it says you may say to yourself my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth the truth is my friends There are so many people in the world, everywhere, that work way harder than I work. You want to know why I know this? Because I've seen them with my face. They work so hard, and they don't have one one one-thousandth of what I own. And it's not fair, and it's an injustice, and I wanna ignore it, but it is their reality that they wake up to every single day. So here's how we should view things when it comes to possessions and generosity and teaching our children. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, you might become rich, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't cling to his rights as deity and to the wealth of heaven, but instead he was born into poverty on the wrong side of the tracks in Bethlehem to two parents who were dirt poor. And guess what? Because of his sacrifice, we have experienced the ultimate expression of generosity. And it's through that generosity, my friends, that we are spiritually rich. So these are important things that we've just talked about that we need to be teaching our children. Why? Because they come from the ultimate parental manual, the Bible. So how do we do that? How do we we focus on loving discipline that, that absolutely has that laser focus on character development? Well, the best kind of teaching always comes through verbal communication and a clear demonstration of just showing them. Show them, parents. I love the advice one father gave to his new son, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, said this. He said, teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. Parents, show them how to conduct their lives. They are the ultimate viewmasters, and they are walking around, and they are taking mental and spiritual pictures of what they see on the front row of your life. So what have we been doing? What have I been doing? For the last 30 minutes, I have been talking to a room full of children. That's what you are. We are all children growing up in adult bodies, but more importantly, you are children of God. You are His, and He loves you, and parents, you have so much influence. You have the ability to, to impact your children. You are under their microscopes, and they are learning the most about God from you right now. That's why, in closing, we need to ask questions of ourselves. Have I found my true identity in Jesus and a deep community? I need to ask, is Jesus the center of my universe? I need to ponder, am I consistently gaining more humility through selfless acts of service? And I need to answer the question, who owns all that I have been given, God or me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing over these aunts and uncles, these grandparents. God, these these parents, Lord, they love their kids. They would die for their kids, and they do in so many ways every day. Encourage these parents that the tough conversations are worth it. There's a payoff. But God, I also pray that you would bless those parents who, God, they did the best that they knew how. and and they taught out of your parenting manual, but their kids have gone astray. Heal the hearts of those children, we pray. Bring them back to Jesus and encourage those parents who are not failures, but God, who are your children that you love dearly. It's in your mighty son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.